I think it was the theologians who first started the idea, later the philosophers took it over, and now some of the scientists are doing the same. What you are comes out in what you do. You see the point? Out of ourselves and into Christ, we must go. This is Chats Under the Sun with Jacob Volk. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Pardon? Yeah, you guys look really cute. You're going to take a photo real quick? Guys, why didn't you tell me we're in Burgundy? It looks good with the focus right too. All right. Anyways, we are recording. So let's dive into it, guys. I'm so stoked. Back at it podcast. again. We're back at it. This this has been uh, a podcast because we did one mid-year, right? And so we, we talked about all the books that we had read from January to, I guess it was January to the end of July. Is that what we did last time? I think so. Yeah. You know. January to the Actually, end of June. End of June? Yeah. Okay. Because it was done in June. Right. Um, and then I've been looking forward to this ever since. Um, just And it's been really fun. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on how, um, like, knowing we were going to do this podcast, knowing we're going to get together, we're at Jesse's house now, talking about books. Has it changed the way you've read at all, like, over this year or, or this last six months? Or it's just been trucking along as, as normal? I don't think it's changed the way I've read. I I just read what I want to read. There's not much that could really motivate me to read something that I don't I don't want to read. Mm. But uh, it has changed. Like it's it's encouraged me to keep reading. I'll definitely go through spells where I just don't feel like it, and I this has like encouraged me to to keep grinding on it and like not be way behind. Yeah, <laughs> I am way behind, but I think there were a couple points where I was like oh, I want to talk about that on the podcast. It's just like, I think it made me engage a little bit more with books as I was going. Mm. Totally agree with that, it, which is good because like I find just even before this pod, like the way I would remember books, if other than taking notes, is to explain it to someone. So someone's like, oh, you're reading anything good lately and you give a quick synopsis and then it's like... Yeah, we will. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. We'll, we'll for the same, actually, for you guys, like I've, I'm like, I'm, I have to give an account for every book read. And so it's uh, it's actually really before us and God. <laughs> before us. Well, honestly, right? Yeah. And uh, it's also good to have brothers to be like, "Yep, yeah, I read this book, and I have to like justify why." And it's definitely not that I was interested in reading anything that was crap, but it was if I ever was, it's like, no, can't do that, right? I read some crap this year. We'll get okay. into it though. Okay. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe we could introduce ourselves and then say our first book. Yep, I think introduce uh, and then also just housekeeping really quickly. Um, this is this this is the second half of the year. Also, we're going to talk about a bunch of books from all different genres for that we read for a bunch of different reasons. So, again, especially for like for younger listeners, like we don't endorse any of the books we read. And even if we say we really liked it, sometimes we liked it because of the reason that we were reading it was either to critique it or or something like that, right? So, there's probably definitely on my list there's some heavy books on there. So, I uh, yeah, read read with caution and. Uh, yeah, but we'll definitely get into that for each uh, each one we do. This is my voice. I'm Jacob, obviously. I am John Michael. I'm Jesse. I am Owen. Cool. Um, do you do you guys? You two did breakdowns of your books for the second half of the year. Owen and I didn't. Do you guys want to dive into that really quickly and then go into your first books? Yeah, just overall this semester, or second half of the year, whatever you want to call it. I read. Uh, 29% fiction, 33% biography slash memoir, uh, 22% assorted nonfiction, and then 15% Christian nonfiction. I kind of broke mine down into 
a few different categories. 5.19% biography, uh, 10.26% history, uh, 28.21% modern Christian living, 12% old Christian living, four or sorry, 10% sexuality, 7% classics, 10% business slash self-help, and 15% fiction. So actually, like, definitely a big spread, but for sure the biggest is, like, modern Christian living and old Christian living books. Hmm. Probably just partially because of seminary books that I'm reading. And then breakdown of fiction and nonfiction is fiction 17% and uh, nonfiction 83%. Wow. So a lot more nonfiction. Yeah. I had a, I had a pretty healthy dose of fiction this, uh, this year. So especially near the end, as I started getting school out of the way, I, I just dove into some fiction pieces. So interesting. Yeah. I, the only stat I have is I think of my books for the whole year, I think about 45 of them were physical books and the other bunch were uh, audiobooks. So over, over half, um, I did over half of the books I read this year or consumed this year, if you will, were audiobooks. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Uh, Not really. I have zero stats for any of my books. I have no idea what in the last six months, what the breakdown of things is that I was reading. Um, yeah, no, I got nothing. Cool. Do you, want just, to kick, do you want to kick off first book? Unless you guys have any other things you want to talk about? Before why we don't you it? start, Jake, and then we'll go. Sure, I can do that. Um, all right, my first book of the last six months was uh, Sherlock Holmes, A Study in Scarlet. This was kind of a yes, yeah, so good. Eh? This was a continuing kind of theme that we were doing last year. Is Audible gives you read by the amazing, uh, the amazing Stephen Fry, the goat. The goat. Um, it's just the all the the entire collection of Sherlock Holmes. So I would just kind of consistently read them over the course of the year, and so I read this one when I was on my way to a wedding in Detroit, and uh, it was good. They're all the Sherlock Holmes stories are amazing. Studying Scarlet is like classic, classic Holmes. We go in my direction. Actually, you know what? I'm also going to double that up by just saying I read Sherlock Holmes: The Sign of Four. After that, yeah, also amazing. Uh, I can go next. Um, this is one of my top books this year, if not the top book. Man, getting into it already. I know. It's starting off with a banger. What is a girl worth? By Rachel Den Hollander. This also is a recommendation from, I think, multiple of you guys last last podcast, and. Yeah, I'm sure we all have a bajillion thoughts, but <laughs> this this is just an amazing book. I actually was talking to people last night, and I've gotten, I think, five to ten different people to read this book mm. after reading it. I think it's just that good that kind of like Gentle and Lowly, I would recommend it to like a pastor, a theologian, all the way down to like just a lay person in the church who's only going to read one book a year, something like that. It's a very tough book, but does such a good job talking about uh, abuse and also just walking through her own story, Rachel Den Hollanders. All the way down to a lay person? I'm a terrible person. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I am actually, interestingly, the next book on my list, which I'm going way out of order, is also uh, What is a Girl Worth by Rachel Den Hollander. So we read it very, very close to each other. 
Wait, hold up. You read it twice. In... No, I didn't. I didn't. Talk. Oh, you're right. I was the only person who read it last. So this is interesting. I've we've all talked about it. I think on every book podcast so far, <laughs> but I hadn't actually read it until um yeah until I was actually on the way back from that wedding, and man. So okay, briefly, it's the story. Rachel Zone Hollander was a gymnast who was um abused as a as a teenager by Larry Nassar, who was a, a medical doctor. This is a book because like I'm a, I'm a hyperbolic person, right? And so when I get to when there's like a book or a topic that I wish I had better words for, it makes me regret being a hyperbolic person because I can't emphasize enough how much I wish every person and specifically every guy would read this. Like I want to hold a mug in the air and smash it on the ground for emphasis. This this book was so transformative for me. Because yes. I, I went into it being like, I'm, I'm pretty sympathetic. You know, I, I know this, this it's, a, it's a real struggle. Mm-hmm. I know like, you know, I'm, I'm, I really want to learn. And, and I didn't realize how many things I didn't understand yeah. or, or weird prejudices I had. Or, so one of the big ones is, you know, when, when there's like a, a sexual assault case and women come forward like a decade later, a little part of me was always like, really like it's been 10 years you didn't you didn't want to go to the cops anytime since then mm. this book was a master class in understanding why that is the case often it did so much for me in empathy and uh, it's just it's such an incredible book it and it, it's so good because it does it through story mm. so it makes it very palatable no matter who you are and she does it in real time so it's not like she starts off with like, let me introduce her to Larry, who's like a horrible person. She like brings you into the trust that she had for him and the trust that everybody had for him because he was like the top doctor. And then like the process of the abuse in real time, how she kind of was like learning in horror, what was like, even just figuring out, wait, this is what's happening to me right now. Who do I talk to? It's just really, really good can't recommend it enough actually yeah and just because we're all chiming in on the book everyone now here has read this right all four of us yeah yeah it it is definitely a book where i couldn't recommend it enough um i've read it a couple years ago now uh and i like jacob said i i learned things especially about um appreciating the the incredible difficulty of going through the trial and having to, yeah. to to sort of expose yourself in that way and explain what has happened to you, but then also doing all that, putting yourself way out there, only to kind of sit back and go, "Huh, are they going to actually validate what's happened?" Right? And there was a there was a moment in the book. And I know I've mentioned this before on your podcast, where even though I knew Larry Nassar is in jail while I'm reading it, I hit a point where it looked like maybe they were going to you know give him a slap on the wrist or something like that where I was almost freaking out. Mm. Just, she is such an incredible writer. Um, And I was so invested in justice for her that this point at which it looked like they were going to, you know, you know what? Thank you for coming forward. We're going to take care of it, but it was going to be super minor. had me so genuinely upset while I'm reading it. It's a very upsetting book, but incredibly important. And I think it's worth noting that I do not believe that it is gratuitous, which is important when you're talking about a book that i think she was actually preteen when he started mm. like abusing her right like she yeah. was 11 or something right yeah so 
you when you start reading something like that, obviously it's going to be like terrifying. And some people are going to be like, ah, I don't think I can touch that. There's stuff in there that is obviously sexual and disturbing, but I genuinely believe that she used integrity in terms of how she approached that so that it is not gratuitous in the sense of being more than is necessary. Absolutely. And, and you bring up a good point. That is the only qualifier I would add. Just be like, this is a, like, this needs to be age appropriately read um, because there's a lot of mature content in it. Yeah. It's it's so good. Not gratuitous, but is uh, relatively explicit yeah. in a, in an appropriate way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, guys, I I'm I'm glad we've talked about it on every podcast, and I hope that just I hope people it's without a doubt my well, my top recommend of this year because I think the good that it would do to each person to read it just as an exercise in empathy is is super. It's huge. So yeah, um, a lot of the I'm, I'm I'm moving into my book now. Um, a lot of the reason I think that people have maybe reservations about this stuff and and maybe need to read this book is sort of maybe backlash to the Me Too movement, where again people are skeptical because of the amount of time people wait, um, and because it's true. Like the idea of somebody being falsely accused and having their mm. reputation yeah. ruined is not. Um, an unfounded concern and it's interesting to try to navigate how to like believe victims and have a posture of like making that your default assumption but also not ruining somebody's life if they so interestingly my first book was Red Rum the Innocent by Kirk Macon and um, it's about that not about someone who was falsely accused as in like the uh, the sexual assault didn't happen the sexual assault and unfortunately murder sorry we're, we're starting this podcast so intensely but the sexual assault and murder of a of a very very young girl in canada in the actually very close to where chloe grew up so all the locations and stuff are really hitting close to home but i believe it was in the 80s um and this was a very well publicized case because back then there just wasn't actually a ton of serial killers or at least you didn't really hear about them so um this was a very publicized case at the time um, and a young man, spoiler alert, was totally falsely accused, partially because of like there was some kind of evidence, but really, really, truly, he was just weird and his family was weird and the cops hyper fixated on him and decided that it was like, he's our guy and we're going to do anything we can to bring him down. And so the book is about his, uh, I think the subtitle is... Um, from wrongful conviction to stunning exoneration. And so this book actually, I, I was thinking it's interesting that it's semi-related to mm. what is a girl worth, but I just realized that actually these were recommended to me at the same time by Mark Limas, where he said they were two of his favorite books um, because he is uh, a lawyer in the criminal justice system. And so I think he just has a fascination with these. And so this book, do I recommend it? I would say definitely if you're, especially if you're interested in learning about the criminal justice system in Canada, it's very detailed on on the the thing of the case um the characters are fascinating the the story is fascinating just the criminal justice system with all of its flaws is is very fascinating mm -hmm. the only this is not a good reason not to recommend a book but the main reason i actually i started this quite early in the year and it, i yeah, struggled I you, to get through it i remember you I talking think, about it before it's just incredibly frustrating this this poor guy just makes incredibly dumb mistakes where he says weird things and just made and it was and he just didn't have anybody 
qualified really on his team until later in the legal process. And so it was just like so irksome. And to see these cops just brutally miscarrying justice because they wanted justice so bad that they totally perverted it. It's just really frustrating. So it, it actually just, and it's it's quite long. It's, it's a pretty thick book. So like read it if you're interested. I would say it's, it's utterly fascinating, but just be aware it might be a tough read for various reasons. And 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 it is occasionally quite dark. It it you know in a in a sort of a forensic legal way it does get very explicit. Again, not not in a not in a graphic story way because you know we we don't even know exactly what happened. Um anyway. Should I read it? Do you think I should read it? I think you would find it really interesting. So I would I would give it a, a yes. But it's not like one of my absolute top recommendations i think it depends if you're interested in the legal system it's a great way to learn those stories are the way i learned so what's the title red rum the innocent um i i think that's really all i have to say about it um yeah cool all right my first book um, you guys are all starting out so intense. I'm glad I'm here to balance things. My first, my first book uh, for the for this six month period is Super Mario: How Nintendo <laughs> How Nintendo Conquered America by Jeff Ryan. That sounds wildly fascinating. Sounds I'm so already cool. adding it to my list. Yeah, it's it's very fun. It was just one of those books that Audible threw at me as like, hey, you can listen to this for free. Um, is it still free? I don't or was know. it a limited? It's one of those offer. Audible Plus things, okay. right? So, sure. um, God bless Audible Plus. I know. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, what's Audible Plus? It's the good one. Like, <laughs> wait, no, no, hold up, hold up. Like, like I, I have a subscription to Audible. I get one credit get, a month. Okay, what is, you what need you, to switch to the American version of Audible, so you get like a free library. Is that what Audible Plus is? Well, Audible Plus Premium, which is what I have. Yeah, but you have to get not through Audible.ca. Audible but Plus Audible. Premium. Com. Did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> Platinum, silver, gold. <laughs> Un- unsure, Jesse, go go on Audible and, and search up included in membership. You might already have it because I don't think I switched over really anything. Yeah, just, so they've, they've been up. slowly integrating some of the American stuff into the Canadian one because I was in the States for a while and it switched to the American version, oddly enough, right away. And I knew all the stuff you were talking about when you pitched this to us last time. Okay, cool. When I came back to Canada, I started noticing over the coming months that more and more books were being added as free classics and, oh, and different okay, things. So cool, I think cool. they're slowly catching up. Anyway, I don't really understand why it wasn't just like Why that. was you never... Th- like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry, moving on. Keep talking about your book. <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah. What's it called again? Uh, Super Mario, How Nintendo Conquered America. And right it is, it's just the history of uh, Nintendo. Um, obviously a, a Japanese company that uh, made all its money selling uh, games in the US, arcade games, and then they made their own console and all that. It's really cool to actually go through the history of that. I'm the kind of person who finds any kind of topic interesting. If you'll go deep enough into it, I'll find anyone's life or interests fascinating. Um, one thing that kind of stood out for me as I was uh, listening to this book was that it was surprisingly well-written. Um and also, I, I have this complaint, and I'll read like popular level medical books. They're written for the general public, but they're written by like actual researchers and doctors and stuff. And one of my frustrations that I've expressed on this podcast in the past <laughs> is that they have like this weird ceiling on how complicated they'll go, but they also have like a minimum threshold for how many dumb pop references they'll make to make sure that the common man enjoys this. And I just feel so pandered to with these (laughs) dumb references to like Justin Bieber. I'm like, I'm not going to this book on like, 
you know, you know, comparable biology for a Justin Bieber reference. Like, don't do this. But by contrast, this book on an actual pop culture icon that is Super Mario has fantastic referencing to things like comparing him to Odysseus. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that makes sense though, because like, if you're going to write a whole book, you kind of have to make it uh, about that. You kind of have to make it smart. Like it couldn't just be like pages and pages of it's a me, Mario. Like, (laughs) but like, it's not though. Like, like, typed out with 50 O's and a few exclamation points. But like, he has so much good content. Like he's, he's talking about the structure of the company, the politics internally within the company, the different people who are the, the, the competitors in the market, like what they did when Sega hit the market, how the different consoles went, the the crash in the 80s when everyone was like, okay, video games are done, before video games even took off. And it's wow. so interesting. Um, but then like as he's talking, his referencing is incredibly sophisticated. It's funny. I, I have it. no interest in being in the space of like the tech world or like being a CEO. Like none of that has any interest to me, but I love reading books about it. So exact, I think same. I would enjoy this book. I don't same. know why. It's, it's just one of those subcultures where I'm like, don't want to be part of this, like looking at it from the outside. That anymore. is not my niche. And I want to hear you talk about it. Exactly. Give me the title one more time. Um, <laughs> thank it's you. It's just Super Mario. Super Mario, How Nintendo Conquered okay. America. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, Audible's awesome. I literally just downloaded it. Um, next book for me is I think another Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes, Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Again, it's awesome. I almost don't want to. Like, I want to pause and say they're really good. You know what I mean? Like, we're gonna blaze through them because they're just the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. But each each story is just great. And um. But then, then the next one that's relevant is Treading Boldly by Daniel uh, Weiss and Joshua Glazer. Jem, did you read this one? I haven't had the chance yet. Okay. Um, this is, without a doubt, the best book on parenting your kids with regard to the topic of pornography that I've ever read. They're, it's a short book, super easy, um, but these two authors are just really thoughtful and they're like... I've really, I really enjoyed like their walkthrough. They have some really simple themes that they keep coming back to. Um, like one of the big takeaways that I had was, you guys are the worst. <laughs> Sorry, you guys can't see what just went on. I don't even know if I'm going to explain. Jamichael's ridiculous. Please okay. don't. <laughs> okay. Anyways, bes- besides that, they have this one thing where in the book, you know, it's a, it's part like a guide to you know porn proofing your home, which is awesome, but it's also just a parenting book. And one of the, the big things that, you know, they hammer home is you should never have a talk with your kids or the talk with your kids. Mm. It should be a series of many, many age appropriate conversations about the topic of sex from a young age all the way through your entire time parenting them. And they're, one of their points is on, there's a whole bunch of reasons why you should. But one of their big points is that takes away the stress of the talk, because if you botch any one of those talks, bring the topic up again and have another conversation about it. And I just really, I really like that approach. And they just hammer home the point of you dare not leave the topic of sexuality untouched in your parenting. Like you can't, you can't not deal with that and just expect the school to go through the birds and the bees and the mechanics of that and just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And especially in, in the, with the amount of pornography that's out there, your kids need to start having good categories and just a rub robust understanding of the beauty of god's design for sex really early on and it's just a great book I, I i really really recommend it i i just enjoyed it i was encouraged by it and 
yeah it's just a really good resource i'm glad they wrote it mm. and i think we found it just by googling like books on parenting about this and just that was one of the only ones that really came up yeah sorry i just i feel like last podcast you guys said that you hadn't found an absolute banger book on on parenting and sexuality yet maybe, maybe i'm remembering wrong but that's cool that you that you did now if if i'm remembering that right i remember the same way okay well i had read that one yet so okay. i mean so this so this is your yeah. your like number one recommend yeah. now. I, I don't know this? if i've read exhaustively in the topic there's a lot of parenting sure. stuff out there but i was surprised at how few books there were specifically about pornography and specifically about parenting and this one i just from everything i've read i they did an awesome job and mm. I, I just really like it so I, I give it a hearty recommend i have leads on two more books on parenting on that Sweet. but i haven't read that one or treading boldly so okay. hopefully next podcast uh, my next book is Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. A banger book. I, It's been a bit, and I read it fairly quickly, but I just remember being struck by the precision of the book. It is not a, like a balanced book in the sense of like trying to be like a loving, uh, winsome approach to someone who disagrees. It's more of just like a systematic going through of like sexuality, uh, and how the culture thinks about it and kind of the upper lower story idea. Like there's a lot that we could get into with it, but it's an amazing book for trying to understand how should Christians think about sexuality and how does the culture think about that? And then how do we engage the culture as it has kind of a bunch of different views dissecting kind of your, your body from the actual you and how your actual you, your upper story is, uh, is always trumps what your body is. So you can, you just need to change your body to be what your, uh, the real you is. So it's an amazing book. Big recommend. You're, you're, you're kind of air quotes that last part you just said, as in yeah. you don't, you don't, that's what a lot yeah. of the cultural thing. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think it's really important to caveat that like, yeah, it's, it's not that she's not winsome, but she's not, that's not really the point of the book, but I don't remember if it was because it was the way it was pitched to me or if it was because of like the subtitle of the book or something, but that's what I really thought this was going in as. And that was how it was framed to me. It was like, this is a really like winsome approach. And it was like, I found her a little bit aggressive. I thought some of her stories were kind of emotional manipulative. So I didn't really enjoy the book when I was reading it. But then later on, I realized how much it had shaped my view of this in a good, positive, mm. organized way. So I've like kind of changed my, I, not that I read a stance of like it was a bad book. She's clearly like insanely intelligent and like knowledgeable and, and, and like a good person to write about it. I just personally like didn't enjoy reading it that much. Mm. But in retrospect, I'm like, oh yeah, great book. Also the audible reader for this one kind of has an annoying voice and that oh, does yeah. not help. <laughs> no, totally, totally. It was that that's that's the sad thing about audiobooks is it's rare, but every once in a while you'll get one that kind of wrecks the experience for you. Mm. I, have a, I have a weird audiobook reader coming up that I'll talk about later. It's very interesting when there's a book you don't enjoy the process of reading, but like on a month later, you're like, that affected me though. You know, like uh, I'll always have this with Dangerous Calling by Paul David Tripp. I think I hated every second of reading that book. <laughs> I was depressed, I was annoyed, I was frustrated. And then I was like, a month later, I was like, but man, that he makes so many good points and it's shaped the way I want to like look at my pastor in a way, like really fighting for him to have good people around him, good accountability, things like that. So it was such a good book, but like just a really crappy book to read. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, uh, yeah, hundred percent. 
I have that with books I disagree with sometimes where even if I don't come around to agreeing with it later, I realize that having to think through it really yeah. shaped me. So it's like really good that I did it. Uh, should we move on to the next book? Sure. Great. Okay. My next book was, um, so, okay. Earlier this year I read on writing by Stephen King. And then then my first book that I talked about was red Run the innocent and red Run the innocent is absolutely, it's like basically a quote from Stephen King's the shining, which I had, read many moons ago so i was just really i didn't remember it very well i also had been really curious about the sequel and so kind of with the combination of like wanting to see his writing style in action but also having just had so many references to it in red rum the innocent I, I can't really explain why that that was so heavily referenced but it was just like so heavily referenced in it so i uh yeah, I, I basically skimmed through The Shining again and then read the sequel, Dr. Sleep. So it's what's kind of interesting about Dr. Sleep is that it's basically like he wrote it. I think he wrote The Shining in like the 80s or something. And then he wrote he read wrote Dr. Sleep like 20 or, or even like 30 or something years later and then made the character grow up that many years. So he's gone from this little kid to this alcoholic middle-aged man. And it, it was very fascinating to grow up with him i can't really recommend this book though uh, the thing with stephen king is like even his cleaner books are just fairly vile and um you know with like a book like east of eden east of eden that's our example we always talk about it, it it's so clearly for a greater purpose and like um I don't know. Well, it's not so clearly. People disagree. But in my in my eyes, it's very clearly for greater purpose. With Stephen King, his greater purpose is that he is all about hyper-realism. He talks about this a ton in On Writing where it's like, if you have a blue-collar worker and he doesn't drop the F-bomb, you are lying to your audience. And I get what he's saying. He's like, you can't... Because like, then his contrast was like, if you have him say, gosh darn, that is lying to your audience. Um, and he's he's right. And then, and then he was like, if you have a housewife, uh, Christian housewife who says, gosh darn, that might not be lying. That might be true. Um, but he's like, most of my characters tend to be these random blue collar people. In in my small experience of like fooling around with writing fiction, I've found that like, hey, you can just say he said a string of expletives. You can say something like that, in, you know, to, to sort of add realism. Anyway, oh, whatever. I'm not going to get too far into it. All that to say... Uh, enjoyed this read but don't really recommend learned a lot though about cool. writing all right cool 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 my next book is man alive by gk chesterton so it begins with yeah. gk chesterton <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i've got i think it might be the only gk chesterton for this six month period have you changed um yes always <laughs> but <laughs> I guess that's good. Yeah, I'm that down. <laughs> so, this is another example of why G.K. Chesterton writes phenomenal fiction. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that he writes fiction like he learned that fiction exists by reading about it. <laughs> or maybe he heard somebody trying to explain what fiction is, and he's like, I can do that. And he went and wrote fiction, but it's really weird. But he's never read it, and so he's just got his own version of what a fiction novel would look like. He has no regard for, yeah, conventions on novel writing. It is phenomenal, though. And... So anyway, it's a, it's a weird story, and I can't really give you much information about it because very quickly you slip into spoilers, but it's kind of about this this very interesting character who appears to be 
super innocent and a little bit crazy and everyone starts loving him but then it turns out that he's accused of all these crazy crimes like murder and and bigamy and stuff and then it but this and you're listening to it and you're going okay like how on earth is he going to reconcile this and eventually he does in such a way that it blows your mind and it is a phenomenal and also profoundly beautiful story like he like his themes that you you end up sitting there holding at the end of the book are remarkable i actually strongly recommend this this is an example of a an audiobook where i almost didn't keep going because of how bad the reader was oh like it was profoundly terrible so that tells you how good the story was but the the reader was one of these guys who just sometimes just don't do the voices do you know what I mean? Like sometimes don't bother trying. You've got a weird diversity of characters and you don't have that much range as a voice actor. And you should not try to do the voices. This person was leaning so hard into the voices and it was annoying. Someone just got crushed. I was just talking this with someone the other day. Like the one of the biggest sins that a male or a female audiobook reader can do is to overdo the opposite sex. So like if you're doing a girl, you can do like like probably this is as far as you just go like Oh, Ron. Like that, probably. Don't do Oh, Ron. But then all, but then likewise, I've heard some terrible women audiobook readers who will be like for every single dude is like he was like this and they can't even do they, like it's just so Andre the Giant stupid. Like, it's like a caricature like when you tell your friends about that's that. That's what dummy. I'm saying. It sounds like a woman who's mad at her husband talking about her husband. <laughs> and then he said I don't want to wash the dishes. It just immediately takes me out of the story. Just Move slightly into your lower register, and we'll know. We'll know what you mean. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll get it. Um, what was the second sin that you mentioned, or the second bad thing? You said murder, and then something else. Bigamy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell me more. I don't know what that is. Bigamy. Owen's looking hesitant. All right. I'll okay, we're moving on. <laughs> cool. Um, Tale of Two Cities, uh, Charles Dickens. You So you recommended I read this, Owen. And I remember... Yeah, you can take it if you want. I, uh, I, I, I gave it a good... I gave it, got a good audiobook reader. And I think I was several chapters in. And I called you and asked you, why the heck am I reading this book? I don't enjoy anything. I don't care about any of the characters. What's going on? I'm bored. Blech. And you just said, uh, very patiently, Jacob, keep going. Just make You can make it work. I got through the end of the book. Ah, okay. I, I enjoyed it. Like, I think I enjoyed it. I, I get the themes. Dickens is, like, wildly poetic writer. And, like, his wordplay, I think, is the best I've ever... I think I've ever read. Like, he would just go on these long analogies but then he would like build dimensionality into his analogies in ways that were just incredible like i can't do justice by explaining it you like go read the book because it's it's so cool but i don't give a crap about any of the characters and i didn't the entire time i and really liked the part when he said it turns out there was really only one city all along <laughs> that was where it really hit home for me anyways Okay, you guys want to know a fun fact about apparently not A Tale of Two Cities, but a bunch of other things. I just learned this from my friend Joe, who's a writer. Shout out to Joe Brink. Uh, hopefully some of his books will be on this podcast soon as we talk about having read them. But uh, 
he was telling me that apparently uh, he he wrote them for serials for magazines and he was paid by the word. So not a tale of two cities, but many of his other books. If you're wondering why they're so long, he was paid by the word. Huh. So interesting. Fun fact. Yeah, I don't know what. But then he built bad habits and a, and a tale of two cities ended up being what it was. Yeah, I mean, people would obviously it's 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 a it's a classic. People will disagree. I I did feel like it would have been a really wildly cool short story. And I felt it was just way, way too long. So that's my hot take. I was just kind of meh on it. Uh, Owen, oh, do you want to clap back on that? Or? I'm actually sympathetic, especially as much as I'm, I I do really respect Dickens' writing. And, and you're right. A lot of his stories were written as serials, which makes them have seemingly strange structure. Because we're accustomed to a very, actually, maybe unnatural artificial arc structure for every story, every novel has to have like you know this arc right but that's actually not necessarily the way life goes um and his stories don't do that either mm. and he has this so you like great expectations which is amazing jacob you'd probably hate it no but like, <laughs> <laughs> no i love that great expectations it's great mm-hmm. but but yeah like so they've got weird structure but then also i am sympathetic to the fact that tale of two cities has a rough beginning and i think that that's a fair criticism i think it's fair to say the fact that I had to read a third of the way into this book before I understood or cared about your characters is on you, bro. Right. Um, but I do still think it really hit home. Like I was almost crying by the time I finished it. Yeah. So is Jake, but for a different reason. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a bad book. I was just like, (laughs) okay, cool. Okay. So my next book, uh, the abolition of man reflections on education with special reference to the teaching of English and upper forms of schools. (laughs) By C.S. Lewis. Uh, This is a very snooty subtitle. Um, I'll be honest, I don't remember much from this book other than I enjoyed reading C.S. Lewis in his element somewhere else other than like writing more lay-level books. Um, I think you guys would enjoy it. It's just his like collection of uh, his lectures. And it's, it's not crazy long. It's good. I've read it a couple times, and I will read it again very shortly because it's on our course list, actually, for ethics. Really? Yeah. Oh, um, For whatever reason. And so I'm looking forward to reading it again carefully because I've read it a couple times, and I also don't remember much from it. And so that which is on me as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to read it again. There's interesting ideas in it, but yeah. I've also read it. I also don't have a lot of takeaway, but I will say that some part of it is he's addressing sort of contemporary ideas to himself. And that can sometimes, when you're really, he's, he's talking to something that's very immediate, very proximate to him in his world. Sometimes that limits how engaged you become in it when those issues and those ideas are not things you're contending with actively, right? Yeah. My next book was uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, read this with Chloe and enjoyed it. That's all I really have to say. We've talked about that before, or at least I've given my thoughts. This is another book Jake is a hater for. All right. My next book is Hitler Speaks uh, by Herman Rauschning. Uh, this is also was also published under the title uh, The Voice of Destruction, but that was the American publication. So, of course, it was something a little bit more, a little bit more eye-catching, I guess. The Voice of Destruction. Wait, Hitler, the Voice of Destruction was <laughs> more eye-catching than Hitler Speaks? I think so. It, Hitler it, speaks sounds too much like Martha speaks to me. I think the voice of destruction <laughs> is. 
Yeah. Okay, I just I just have a quick question. Please tell me this was an audiobook. <laughs> no. No. Okay, I really want the audiobook to be like the audiobook reader just goes full out anytime it's a direct quote and <laughs> Like like German accent and full out like cartoonishly though yeah cartoonishly like anyway sorry that was really silly you can do you can do an imitation now to give us an example of what you were no the whole the whole point no the whole reason I thought it was funny is because I don't want to do that and I sure nobody well not nobody somebody (laughs) wants to anyway this is a very interesting book um it was. Uh, it was written by a guy who was the president of Danzig, uh, which is a little city-state formed by the end of World War One, And he was part of the Nazi party in the early 30s. Um, and he hung out with Hitler sometimes, and then he became a little disenchanted. Um, it was like, this guy is trouble. And it's what, really, really interesting, because he wrote it in 1939, before the war really started, um, and then it hit the presses just as, you know, Hitler was marching into Poland and all the crazy stuff started. But he's trying to convince people. He'd written a book previously saying, guys, Hitler's not just a crazy guy who's trying to, you know, restabilize the German economy. He's really scary. And he got chalked up as a conspiracy theorist and an alarmist. And so in this book, he's taking another run at being like, guys, no, like I hung out with him. I am going to... I'm going to tell you some of the stuff he talks about and stuff that he said, the stuff that I've literally witnessed him ranting about. You need to appreciate this guy is dangerous. And he's trying to make the compelling case for the fact that Hitler is not just another dude when it comes to his political ambitions. Um, It's very, very interesting. It's also super controversial because you wrote it like six years after he would have actually had any contact with Hitler. So some people are like, he just made up all these quotes and stuff. Um, he claims that he didn't. He also is very candid. He's like, yeah, it, I, I had to write this years afterwards, so these are not going to be uh, exact quotes. But he said, I can tell you right now, I have a pretty good memory of some of these weird conversations I had with him. Also, I, I have journals and notes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he allows for the fact that, yeah, it's not exact, but this is who you're dealing with. And I think it's worth letting the the Western world know what we're facing with Hitler. Uh, really, really interesting. Um, very very much worth reading actually but it is weird because hitler was not seen by a lot of people as being the same scale of threat that we know he was retrospectively right some people were like ah oh, he's crazy but you know what let we've stomped on the neck of germany enough after world war 1 just let them get their economy back we don't have to be mean about it right um and he's so he's, he's going on about the economy almost more than anything else. It's weird as the point of focus. For us, we think Hitler, you'd think the entire thing would be about the Holocaust, but it's not, right? Um, and he didn't even know really much about that. He talks about the Hitler's fascination with anti-Semitism, but not his focus. He's, like, he's talking more about the, the Hitler cult that existed and the, the disorganization within the fascist party and the, the economic implications of what Hitler's doing and how unsustainable he is. It's, it's, it's just weird. Huh. When, when was this published? Uh, 1939. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a... Props for knowing the actual date. I thought you were going to say, like, roughly 1930s or something. Hmm. I I actually looked it up just because I was like, I reading it, you're like, when was this published, right? So he wrote it during 1939. Uh, it first hit print in, like, December 1939. So the war had already started by the time it actually got to the public. Interesting. Uh, next book, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. 
incredibly good book. Do you read it, Jess? No, but funny story. There was when this book came out and was very popular. There was often people reading it on the trains. I realize now what it's actually about, which you can explain in a second, but I thought it was literally about how to talk to strangers. And so I would <laughs> say hi to those people. And it was funny that they never really responded. They'd just be like, oh, I'd be like, oh, how's your day going? And they'd be like, pretty good. And then get back to their book. And I just thought that was endlessly funny. I never got tired of doing that. Yeah, definitely not, uh, not a how-to manual by any stretch. What's really cool is the way to listen to this book is audiobook. And that's true for almost everything Malcolm Gladwell makes right now is that it, he first makes them as audiobooks and then turns them into books afterwards. Whoa. So he includes snippets of actual audio, backing track, sound effects, and a lot of other stuff. It's a production. Almost all his books. So I just read the, la- the one of the last books I read is The Bomber Mafia, which we'll get to. Um, and he, he starts them all as audiobooks and includes a lot of original voice recordings of things. Talking to Strangers is a book about how we interact with people. And it's really interesting. So he does a bunch of test cases uh, of Sandra Bland, who is a, a girl who, uh, a black lady who got had a, just a horrible run-in with the police and then and committed suicide in jail. If I have that story right, which I'm pretty sure I do. And it's just, it basically is a story about how that escalated the way it did. And he weaves in other commentary, commentary about like, he has a whole diatribe on on suicide and and how the contagiousness of suicide in the sense of how people will will have why a suicide will catch on and there'll be a string of suicides and just it's a fascinating book about like why we do the way the the things we do sometimes from a cultural perspective it's not a book that has a rock hard clear thesis it's just a just a fascinating look into people and communications and in typical gladwell fashion he'll Pulls a lot of uh, studies into the, into the conversation that, which is just always fun hearing a book from someone who's a solid hard sciences researcher, because you know, just this is interesting. Um, mm. Highly recommended, it, actually. It's a really really interesting book. Adding to my list. Would you say he's a hard sciences researcher? Okay, I guess he's in the social sciences, so less so, but at least someone who's really interested in empirical Soft. data. <laughs> Weak. He he he's working with with data. Put it that way. Nice. Um, <clears throat> my next book, Psychology and Christianity, Five Views. Hey, Amazing book. We were talking about this before the podcast. Um, this was a really helpful book because I read this before taking a intra-biblical counseling course with Jeremy Pierre, and it was just a helpful category setter. I think it's just, I had had a lot of conversations, even just with you guys, about counseling, psychology, and I definitely didn't have clear categories in in my mind yet. And this is just a cool, I forget if we've talked about this on the podcast last time, but basically uh, the way these five views books it works is every, there's five different contributors for the five main positions uh, on how psychology and Christianity uh, fit together. And then they write their position and all four of the other guys write a response and then same thing. All, they all go through like that. So it's just a really fun format. Um, I feel like it only like got me, got my toes wet into the topic, so to speak. Um, but definitely it's just a really helpful book. And I would highly recommend this to a lot of people. Uh, David Pallison takes the biblical counseling view. And uh, yeah, anyways, it was just really good. I don't know if other people have thoughts. 
um, yeah, the cool thing is, like like you said, you only get your toes wet. But what's cool is if you can start looking at the footnotes, which I never look at footnotes, but you can start seeing themes of like, oh, they're really heavily drawing from this one book or, or even maybe really heavily drawing from one of their own books. And it's like, OK, cool. Maybe that's the next book I should read if I'm still interested. Yeah. Uh, I have a quick question. Michael, did you uh, sorry to put you on the spot because maybe you read more books later, but did you sort of find yourself leaning towards one of the views a little bit? Just y- this doesn't have to be a hard position, but just like I started leaning in this direction. I think partly because of the course that I took afterwards, I'd say if I had three feet, two of them would be in the biblical counseling world and one would be in the integrationist world. <laughs> like are you booing me and I didn't even finish. No, I, yeah, I felt like because of how introductory this book is, it more showed me how much I don't understand. And and it made me sympathetic, I guess, to some other mm. positions. But also, I guess the, the course that Jake and I took this year um, with Jeremy Pierre really did solidify for me the goal that you're picking does matter. Mm. And that will change the discussion on approach. I'll just leave it at that because there's a lot more that we could talk about there. I don't know if people, uh, people have more thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I totally resonate with that. Because if your goal is to, if your goal more broadly is to, how do we, how do we encourage people to grow in conformity to Christ and to put, to de- put the old man to death? That is the heart and soul of biblical counseling. And that's awesome, and that is beautiful, and that is practical. I don't know if that's the right tool for arachnophobia. You know what I mean? For a crippling fear of spiders. That that might have that that should be the ultimate goal, but I wonder if sometimes the ultimate goal is not always the right the 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 tool designed for the ultimate goal is not always the right tool designed for specific broken situations and that and i wonder if sometimes some of the other psychologies the other psychotherapies the other things sometimes might have tools that are better for more niche difficult situations that's kind of the takeaway i got from that book and some of the counseling stuff but man you're 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 bound to offend almost anyone when you start kind of going into this area i think the the big thing is that i was struck by is there's going to be a presenting problem in a counseling situation Mm -hmm. or a psychology situation and the temptation for everybody is to entirely focus on said presenting problem. And those can range from like, I've got conflict into my marriage all the way to uh, arachnophobia or something that is, uh, let's say almost entirely medically based. And obviously there's even debate on that. Is there things that are entirely medical based? It's just incredibly complex. And I feel like I've got a lot more learning to do on it, but a big thing for me was like, when you face a presenting problem, what's the goal? Is the goal to fix that problem for them? Or is your goal uh, helping them come into union with Christ, whether for the first time or helping them properly come into further union with Christ as a Christian? Or is your goal to do that and fix the presenting problem? Anyways, I don't know if people have more thoughts. but Well, I've never read it. Um, but what's the, what's the title again? Psychology and Christianity, five views. Right. By and IVP, Introversity Press. One of the things that's interesting to me about that is that psycholo- like most psychologists work in the research space, right? And that's one of the interesting things is that when you're almost when you're contrasting 
professional psychology uh, with biblical counseling. They're almost not. There's not. There's not the research arm of biblical counseling into. Right you know, the functionality of the human brain and stuff mm. like that, right? And so there, there is like, you, you could almost, I think, legitimately glom onto a couple positions. You can almost be in that uh, maybe Christian psychology uh, or the something like that because you work in the research area, right? But mm. also from a, if I have to do a counseling situation, I'm going to be sort of oriented around that biblical counseling model as well. Is that, is that possibly the case? You've done the reading. I haven't read it but yet. That's a really good point. Weirdly, though, they don't, they treat psychology and counseling very closely in the book. I think the book does because it's like the book is about the topic. So they're like, they have to make the case that they're all about the topic. But biblical counseling tries to be very clear in that we are not what those other things are. We call ourselves a ministry of the word, not a therapeutic model. Right. And, And Pallison does that too. I guess... I, I can understand why the book's like, sure, you say that, but we're still going to lump you into this just because the conversation needs to interact with each other. So, And interestingly, though, they all almost all use case studies of how does psychology play out in a practical use. So I, I do feel like, yes, they're all talking about research, but the focus more in the book was actually how does this practically play out? And then uh, biblical counseling was basically like, yes, this will be helpful in forming stuff. But essentially, we think you have the wrong goal. And one of the things that I, I talked with Jeremy Pierre about a little bit, he's, he's our, he was our um, biblical counseling professor at Southern, is there's a, there's a sense in which biblical counseling is still a young discipline and maybe a bit of a reactionary discipline. Although maybe they're not thrilled about... No, no, that's fair. That's where its history is, at least, with, with, um, J. with there, J. Adams. There's, right? been move, there's been a lot of movement. Oh, I, no, absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, it, I think it would be really cool to see biblical counseling move in a direction of research where it would be like, okay, someone has a sphere phobia. This might be a area in which they're doubting God. Mm-hmm. This might be a area in which uh, pick your, pick your issue. We're going to test both and we're going to see, we're going to do some empirical research and, and just see what that bears out. And that gets a bit weird. It gets kind of quirky, but also it's worth it's Cause you know, I think, you could say, you know, a, a, sh- a very shallow, a very shallow view of depression is you're depressed because you don't trust God. Mm-hmm. And we know better. We know that there's imbalances and chemicals. You can throw the words in there. But we know that there are drugs that can be helpful in certain situations, right? And so we have a little bit more of a complex view of what might cause that in some situations. And that had to be borne out with research. And so I wonder if there's other issues where you can go or, or maybe, and there's maybe definitely issues where the prevailing psychological view it's just not helpful because actually this is just a hard issue before God. And that's, that is the best way, always is the best way in every, let's say, if you could get some good empirical research done, but that's hard to do. It takes time to build that up. And I think a little bit, that's what Christian psychology tries to do is say, we want to fight in the arena of research and biblical counseling might not want to. And that's where it gets complicated, right? Because biblical counseling generally says, we don't really want to do that. We're really just interested in using the Bible as our foundation. And I can totally, I, there's valid, there's validity in that. That's, that's useful. But also, man, data's nice. Data's nice to have. This is so fascinating because, yeah, like I like, I like the um, kind of the, the, the heart posture of like, let's never assume that this isn't sort of a physical ailment and not a spiritual thing. And then let's also never assume that it's, that nothing is spiritual. But 
the the weird thing is like when you get into the spiritual area, you don't even just get into biblical counseling. You also get into like, what about deliverance ministries or things like that? And I'm not an expert on that, so I'm not going to get into it, but like sort of almost you're not in exorcism territory, but you're more in the area of like thinking about demonic presences and stuff. And that is like, I don't even know if it's possible to make that a science. I don't know if that would sort of bastardize it to try to turn it into a science. And it's like, yeah, when someone comes to you with a serious mental health concern, how do you go about the process of like figuring out is this spiritual oppression or is it again, chemical imbalance is such a bad term, but you know, and then once you find out, then what do you do? So man, tough. This is where to, uh, I feel like I've been learning this year about uh, Pierre talks about, we are psychosomatic unities like and those things we shouldn't separate those yeah. too much Psych- psycho meaning your mind soma so- meaning your body, body. yeah um your- <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's just a helpful thing to think about is like let's not we can't separate these things they're always together but there's gonna be percentage shifts we should probably move on because i mean we do but also this is a fun topic that does intersect with a lot of the stuff we've been reading so we'll be popping back into the biblical counseling space with a lot of our books and i also <laughs> just a huge shout out to to jeremy pierre as a, as a third through and through biblical counselor who is so thoughtful and so sympathetic to other models because and trying to learn and understand and he's honest about some complexities of this right like he was talking about a situation where it was this this girl that he was counseling, young girl. His parents brought her in, and I think he I, tell me if I'm right. I think he he was like leaning toward that this might be something demonic because it was so odd and so that her symptoms were so strange and chaotic and just like the, all the that felt like deep sin problems. Um, and but he encouraged her to to get some medical analysis done in different areas, and it came out that she had this hyper rare blood, um, ah, blood. What's the word? I only I can't I can't think of the right word. Infection and blood infection. That's it. And when she got on this low level antibiotic, all her symptoms gone. Wow. <laughs> and he was like, "Look, you know, you have to work through." But also, we're not going to sit here and say that like demons don't exist and they don't have a real presence in the world, right? Like, read your Bible. So it's 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 a hard balance to work through. And the great thing with that case too is it's like, okay, so the presenting problem was dealt with, with with just a little antibiotic crate. And then he's like, and then we could counsel them through how do Christians think about yeah. that? So that's how biblical counseling would say there's always room for like biblical counseling to orient our hearts towards, towards God as we like deal with the problems that our bodies have, our souls have the connection between the two. Um, even if the presenting problem answer is going to be just a medical thing. Great. Uh, my next book was Mixing Secrets by Mike Sr. Um, I'm not going to get too far into what I learned from this book because it's mostly nerdy audio stuff. Um, it's about like mixing music. But uh, this book was kind of interesting because like anytime someone saw me reading it, they were laughing because it looks just like a textbook. I don't know if this is what university textbooks look like, but it is what high school textbooks look like with like graphs and really bad graphic design. And uh <laughs> a lot of like two or three colors that they could have color, but it'd also be cheaper to print. Um, and what, what, aside from what I learned, I did actually learn a ton about music production from this, but what I really learned was like, Hmm, there's actually still a place for physical books for learning, which I know that sounds, you guys are all like, duh, you're literally on a podcast promoting reading. But like, I think for technical knowledge, I've 
always gone to YouTube and that's really where I grew up learning it. Like I would kind of skim my textbooks in high school and then really just go on YouTube and learn it. And that's how I would like get okay-ish passing grades. So, and I do still think I generally lean towards that area for most technical skills that I, that I learned it from YouTube. But this book was actually quite good for some of the stuff that was so like, oddly enough, you'd think, oh, let's spice it up for the really boring things. But for actually some of these really boring things that I've been procrastinating learning about, it was nice to go on a dock up north without my phone and just sit and read a, a paragraph or two over and over until I really understood the concept. So I, I think, yeah, and, and just as someone who hasn't really had, I, I went to school for a topic that didn't really have textbooks, to actually uh, use a textbook was a, a learning curve for me and it was really good. So good experience with this book. If you're into music production, I recommend having this one on your shelf as a quick reference book as well. All right, my next book is uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People nice. by Dale Carnegie. I'd never read this book before. Um, Wait, how have you won so many friends and influenced so many people? I know. I know. Maybe I should be writing it. Was this just no. a big pat on the back? That's a joke. I. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm just a self made man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that myth. Anyway, so it was a really, really good book, actually. And I was. Going into it, whenever I heard the title, because people talk it up quite a bit, whenever I heard the title, I was always like, okay, this sounds like How to Manipulate People 101. And the thing is, reading it, he acknowledges that pretty early on in the book, saying, like, you could abuse this. You could go into this um, intentionally to learn how to abuse people, uh, you know, take advantage of people, manipulate people, get people to do things for you. Um, but he said that's not the purpose of it. And also, people are smart and they'll see through that. He says, like, I encourage you to be genuine and sincere in your relationships. Um, and honestly, I think it's fantastic. I think that you could use this to manipulate people in the same way that you could take a self-defense course to learn how to mug people better. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine getting mugged and you learn jujitsu and you were really excited to use it, but then the mugger also knew jujitsu. You went to the same class. Like... <laughs> Dude, the hey, let me walk you to your car. And then just... <laughs> the guy's like, Dude, you've got a really tight rear naked choke. I'm impressed. Who are you learning under? And then you just like form this friendship after it. <laughs> But trying no. to pull the wallet out of their uh, their kimono. What's it called? The, <laughs> I, I don't know. Sorry, what, what, the gi? Yeah. <laughs> I picked a way longer word and I could have just said gi. What, what, what's it called? It's a gi. Okay, great. Sorry, moving on. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, I will say, actually, as someone who worked in sales for years, um, that it's also case, and I also, my, my sort of philosophy of sales is that you've got to be sincere. Like, you've got to be genuinely interested in benefiting other people and not thinking about things like commission or what have you. And... If you do that, first of all, you're going to make fantastic relationships and also the commission will inevitably follow. That's always been my philosophy. It's super rewarding. It makes the job incredibly pleasurable and forms great relationships. And he demonstrates that he has an incredible working knowledge of what that looks like. So a lot of it for me was head nodding. I'm going like, yeah, no, that's fantastic. Like that's practical and genuine and you will, yeah. you will just be more successful, right? Mm. Even if you're going at this completely mercenary because you want to win friends and influence people, it's really good advice. This, yeah, this is actually a book that's all my top 10 recommended of all time. Like, I actually think every person should read this. And because I think it has an, there's an underlying assumption slash philosophy that I deeply believe in that there's, I feel like people often have a gap between what they think is genuine 
and what they see as practiced, intentional, methodical things. And I don't see that gap. So for example, like being romantic, right? People have this idea of, of the, maybe the spontaneity of, of romance and, and some of these things. But in my experience and in my experience talking with people, it's like, no, making lists, being really thoughtful, planning, intentional strategies, tactics, those don't those aren't the antithesis of genuineness, but they're mm. skills you use in order to manifest what you think is like true. So if I want to be a good friend, it might sound really callous to like keep this list of conversational topics for the times I see them and to do all these like kind of pen and paper skills or to know or to know all these tactics of how to have a better conversation but it's to further the end of wanting to be a genuine friend or wanting to make people people feel appreciated or wanting to build good relationships and so learn the skills because they're just stuff you're gonna have to do anyways and some people i'm sure spawn like just kind of learn how to use these skills and they never really internalize what that is they just happen to be a great conversationalist but I think most people who are great conversationalists, if you actually got them in front of them, like had a good conversation with them about that, they'll be like, oh, no, no, no. I had to learn and course correct and evaluate how I did a conversation and how I was a good friend and how I was all these things. And I eventually actually started kind of making some good rules for myself and kind of had those running through my mind as I was being that friend and things like that. And it's been true for me, at yeah. least. So I love the fact this book's like, no, we're going to make it a little bit of a science and we hope you learn some things be a better friend at the end of it. I totally get why people want to be like spontaneous, like like that it's like, oh, my gut reaction is to be loving or winsome or intelligent yeah. or romantic or like what whatever positive attributes you want to have. And it's like, yeah, if you are naturally that way, that's really cool. But also if you're not the way to become, not, not just to like learn how to, like you said, put pen to paper and be intentional ahead of time, but also if you practice those things, yeah. eventually you will actually become them and you'll be a spontaneous slash loving slash intelligent slash winsome slash uh, romantic person. Totally. I also just like, I'm thankful for you guys and I'd want to encourage other people like surround yourself with good conversationalists who like try to use their words to serve people. And I feel like you three and a bunch of other people in my life are so good at that. And I've even just seen in the last year or two my ability as a conversationalist improve and I feel more and more inspired like to use my words to serve people. I think that's like one of the assets, even just talking about like, what are the gifts and talents God has given you? How can you serve in the church? Your words are like one of the biggest assets that God's given you. And you can walk into church on Sunday or into hanging out with a friend and just be like, how can I use questions words to love this person better and i think like how to win friends influence people helps equip you for that a bit especially if you're not by nature spontaneous right and and, and i i'm with you and jesse in the sense that some people aren't that way by their nature and it's not like they don't want to be romantic or don't want Mm. to be a good friend or don't care about people the fact that they lack the the innate skill set doesn't mean they don't want to exercise it and for a situation like that this is a great great book and it's completely valid for someone who doesn't have these things by default to genuinely desire to cultivate it also john michael you are the best conversationalist yeah. i know Aww. it's like you're sitting there being like Hearts. oh man i try to tell myself people are good conversationalists bro you are the best conversationalist <laughs> i can't imagine what you're talking about i surround Aww. myself with you <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how you surround yourself with me but 
It's called a hug to Michael. Yeah, dude. I was oh, literally, literally saying, what a hug you is. Just a hug. Hey, want to surround each surrounding. other? It's surrounding. Yeah. If it goes quiet halfway through, it's because we're surrounding each other. <laughs> I... <laughs> I feel like this is like a good way to get men to be more physically affectionate. You know how like little boys are always talking about war and stuff? Hey, want to surround each other? <laughs> want to take each other captive? Like, <laughs> It's called the pincer was... movement. <laughs> hey, want to learn a new jujitsu move? It's called a hug. <laughs> Yo, that's... That's why guys are doing jujitsu. It's just lack of physical like, affection. It's like... Hey, bro. Hey, bro. <laughs> I wish my dad would have tackled me. All right, sorry. <laughs> it just went dark. Okay, no, that's not good. Sorry. I mean, that 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 is true. That, like, like play fighting with your dad is really... Sorry, oh, yeah, sorry yeah, if this yeah. triggering anyone whose dad didn't play fight with him. Anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Moving on. Yeah, moving, moving on, on to a nice... I'm a sorry. nice. We keep making happy things sad in this podcast. Do we? But also making sad things happy. I don't, You're right. We go I'm both okay ways. With this. Okay. Um, here, here's a nice, safe, uh, dry topic. Uh, basic economics. By you're Thomas just going Sowell. wildly out of order here, eh? Oh, no, you're right. That was the one. Yeah. My right? bad. Sorry. Are we good? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, basic economics by Thomas Sowell. Sowell. This was uh, my top, one of my top tens back in the day. Um, I had it on my top ten list for a long time. The reason why is because this book, I, I took it off only because it's, it's, it is a bit of a slog. But man, I cannot recommend this enough. If you're at all interested, and even if you're not, actually, weirdly, if you put it this way, if you have the stamina to be able to slog through a heavy book that I guarantee will be helpful, give this one a shot. Because economics is the study of value and how value manifests itself and is moved around. And Thomas Sowell just goes through almost every form of currency of value exchanges commodities like goes from housing to oil to finance markets to real estate and and just walks through what the what those look like as it interacts with the world i don't know how to say it better than that but he makes like one of the examples i just remember is so he talks about like he talks about oil right and he goes okay so you have oil what how do you measure oil or like our ability to get oil and he says actually the way we measure that is basically the cost it takes to get oil because there's way more oil than you extend than we account for it's just so hard to get we don't count it in usable oil reserves there that's an economic thing and he kind of walks through some of the implications and then he says okay so new technology came around that allowed us to um get oil reserves that weren't accessible previously with this new technology at a lower cost. And he said, suddenly your entire economic conversation about how we do energy changes because of the advances in technology. Then he goes, okay, what does that mean? So then all of a sudden now we have GDPs in different countries that have changed because now we have access to resources that didn't happen before. He's like, these are basic, very important things to know about economics that there's always ability to get more fuel. It's just at, of different kinds. It's just at what price point do you get them? That's important because as we move into more scarcity, we're going to reallocate our resources for different things. And this all sounds so technical, but it's really helpful to think through these things as you're thinking about what does it mean to buy a house? What does it mean to, to buy things? What does it mean to have rates exchanged? He talks about minimum wage a lot and why 
like labor moves in the way it does. And these are all things that just, they intersect with your life in ways you don't even realize. And it's really helpful to pull back the curtain and look at some of the mechanics of value in the world we live in. Because value is everywhere. You make choices with your money, with your time, where you live, what sacrifices you're willing to make, not willing to make, what sacrifices does the government tell you you should make or shouldn't make. And just exposing some of these underlying principles is so helpful. And it will just make, and one of the biggest things, it'll, it'll give you a shot of humility because you'll go, there's so much more complexities into the way governments run their budgets that like even just unhelpful the budget like budget will balance itself it's like man there's a thousand and one ways running a deficit is very very helpful you just got to know things like that and your government's economics run nothing like your personal economics it's just more complicated there's a reason people get there's a reason economics has been like an industry and a study for so long is because it's genuinely complicated and it's just it's just cool i found it fascinating kind of the whole way Mm. through and i really recommend people people give it a read it's on my list I took one macroeconomics course and I was like, you're an idiot. You definitely need, like, you have no idea what you're yeah, talking exactly, about. exactly, right? That's that's my main thing is, like, I, I just shut up about conversations like, oh, well, the, the liberals or the conservatives, they spend so much. It's like, don't don't even touch it. You don't know what you're talking about if you don't know the ins and outs of the issue. Um, I might just, uh, unless people have more thoughts on this, I was just going to go out of order since my book's eh, it's <laughs> not even really related, but uh my next book was the wealthy barber has anyone read this yeah no but i've listened to him on tim ferris i'm sure the guy is great so the story behind this is i was at a library and i had uh like i was waiting it was just there was no coffee shops around and it was a library and i had like a few hours to kill and i was like i'm gonna pick a short book and see if i can read it in this entire time and it's it's very short really didn't like it Hmm. um and you could say that it's that it's because i uh you know tried to read it so fast but i actually think like generally when i read things fast i enjoy them more and i just he tries to tell it in a story format which i know i just said that i learned best by stories like with what is a girl worth and and red room the innocent but like sometimes those fictional stories where they're like and this and and we're gonna do it tell a story and you'll just learn all these things about personal finances through this family the problem is the characters were wildly unlikable the plot line was boring it was like there was no good story or good people and so you were distracted by that and it was just like just couldn't not recommend this book enough read a different book on personal finances i didn't like it dumb book is it like those instagram ads where the guy's like i had no idea i was paying for two netflix accounts but then they go on these gratuitous things where they'll talk about hockey and it's like i get it you're trying to make these seem realistic but i just like don't care about these and they're like wait personal yeah i don't know didn't enjoy this book sorry to anyone who this was really helpful for if it was like more power to you i would just have rather read uh, a book that was was just straight up classic nonfiction, but then told stories as they go, you know, and as yeah. opposed to trying yeah. to shoehorn this into a yeah. story. Uh, I'm only four books in, and I think we're like an hour into this podcast. Um, so I four w- books. You have to be more than four. I've only said four. Wow. Um, we get, we're just gonna keep tracking and see what we can do. Honestly. <laughs> uh, so the next one, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. So good even better because it was read by um andy circus andy circus my goodness it was just it's great amazing nothing else to say you're up on all right uh my next book is how to be a hermit 
uh, by Will Cuppy. Um, and so it begins. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I actually really love the writings of Will Cuppy, uh, who is a very odd American humor writer. He's actually his his job was reviewing mystery novels. I don't know why his name makes me vaguely uncomfortable. Will Cuppy. Will Cuppy. Sorry. You, you keep going. Um, this was not his best work. Uh, basically. It's a- <laughs> It's a collection of essays about his lifestyle. Um, he was, yeah, he had, he had a, he was, he was a very odd personality. Um, but he, yeah, he lived on this island uh, in New York and just, yeah, lived in this weird shack. And that's where he wrote his reviews for Mr. Novels and stuff. Um, it's not his funniest work. It's not his best work. It's still really funny. It's just very odd. Yeah. I'd recommend his other stuff uh, before I'd recommend this. The pros and cons of introversion versus extroversion in writing is really interesting to me. I don't want to get too deep into this because like Jermichael said, we're down on time, but like there's such the classic idea of like the writer who holds themselves away and and in deep work, which I see is on Jermichael's list. So I'm excited to talk about it later, but he talks about a lot of examples of writers who had to book a hotel room or take plane flights, which are all like, wow, you must be a well-paid writer to do those things. But like, uh, you know, things where you, you, where you lock yourself away and you would think that that's the best way. But then you listen to the Joe Rogan episode with Chuck Pavanoff. I forget how you say his name, the dude who wrote fight club. And he is an extroverted writer where he, his stories are sort of loose associations of, of, um, stories that he hears in real life, like exaggerated or differently told versions of them. And so he'll, be chatting people up at his gym. He goes to parties and uh, he'll read them sections of his book and be like, what do you think of this? And then they'll, if he says his, his metric of like, if it's good is if people don't say, Oh, that's good. But if they jump in with like, Whoa, this reminds me of this. And then if they tell his story, he basically co-ops their stories and sort of makes exaggerated versions. And by the time the book's written, it's totally different than what he started with. So just super fascinating hearing different people's writing styles. And so I, I like the the sort of dichotomy of like the the super extroverted high input writer versus the um the 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 cave uh, um um uh, mystic what was the word you literally just used? Hermit writer. Hermit. Nice. We're both cool. Yeah. I'm going to start uh, doubling up and maybe tripling up on stuff that I'm indifferent about. So I'm just going to do two now. Um, the Antichrist by Frederick Nietzsche. Ugh. What an edgelord. <laughs> he would for sure would have been a Reddit troll if he yeah. s- existed today. Although he's so pompous that I don't think... like. This guy. You have to start his own. Are you saying Reddit people aren't pompous? Because they sometimes definitely are. That's that's true. No, but he would have been too cool for Reddit, I think, or any social media. media. The guy was like, like it's almost impossible to overstate how confident and how (laughs) arrogant that guy was. Confidence not even the word. But socially dysfunctional. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's just stop being so mean to him. Here's the thing. It's just it's just not. It's just I don't understand what the hype is. He just seems wildly hyperbolic to me. I honestly, I had some really well thought out critiques about this book, but I'm just like, go read it if you want to understand what Nietzsche's thoughts on Christianity was. It's not a nuance. It's not winsome at all. Not even trying to be winsome. He called it the Antichrist. <laughs> no, but like, it's like, uh, yeah, I, it, it, it reads like the Communist Manifesto a little bit. It's like a, it's like a long scream and it's not great. So whatever. Um, How to Write a Sentence by Stanley Fish. It's good. It's a good, it's a good book on writing. It's not very long. 
I enjoyed it. I, I don't have too much takeaways, to be honest. And honestly, any book that I finish that I'm like, I enjoyed it, but I can't quite remember it, it's probably not the greatest. So it is what it is. Uh, this book has really stood out for me, World War Z by Max Brooks. <clears throat> this is the weirdest recommend I will make on the podcast. I would never have picked this book up if it wasn't for mm-hmm. such a hard recommend from, I think, both of you. No, Jake. I, oh, I was it was a Jake. Well. Okay. Um, so basically, yeah, World War Z, it's about a zombie apocalypse. I think we talked about this a bit because you recommended it last yeah. time. But just, again, another recommend. You wouldn't think you would enjoy it, but because it's voice acted like first of all listen to it on audible uh voice acted by different people with like the right accents and it is shockingly realistic it's just really well written well that's the thing you're like oh a zombie apocalypse book and it's like no 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 it is a history of the zombie war yeah and it reads like it reads like a world like a epic world war ii flyover like if someone basically was like we're just going to give you like interviews from every aspect you could possibly imagine of world war ii and and you're just like mesmerized as someone just walks through what this war did to 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 the globe this is what this is but with zombies and it is so interesting big recommend so interesting just it's a fun read yeah jess your your take have you read it not 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 just that but you know in in kind of his you know fake forward to it he's talking about how a lot of people were pressuring him these fictional people are pressuring him to like write it more as like a book of data and he was like actually like i think we need the human element because that's sort of what like separates us from the enemy in this case is like that we are human so almost all of them some of them are like an expert in their field sort of giving an overview of like this is how it affected this specific niche of human existence but a lot of them are just somebody's story and uh some 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 of them were quite not not all of them were amazing, but some of them were quite touching. And it'll be probably different for everybody. So I I, I don't even want to say that they any of them were bad. Just some of them, but th- that was also kind of an interesting thing about the format. And uh, interestingly enough, this is why a lot of people have told me they liked these book podcasts. Is that even if you're not interested, you know there's a new topic up, coming up soon, and it's like every new chapter there's like okay now we're gonna jump to a totally different part of the globe and look at a total look at this from a totally different angle. And I just found that actually quite fascinating like very uh, i wasn't 100 percent sold at first but very quickly on i was hooked and real like this would be one of my top recommends of the year yeah, actually and this guy's ability the writer who wrote it again max, max brooks. brooks his ability to get in the mind of someone who like he just seems to be able to exist and give you a really honest portrayal from at least what i can see of so many different people like he walks through this yeah. chi- this chinese guy who stole a submarine and how he's so he's like no i i i am chinese like i care about my my government like i i am a good chinese soldier i just had to steal the submarine to save my family like his ethical problem was well like his problem was like i don't want to be seen as a deserter i don't want to be seen as someone who deserted my people that's like like that was really hard for this guy and then you have another guy who's just like that when he goes into the people who sold miracle cures for the thing he's like i'm a, I'm a businessman that's what i had to do i i I, I, I know we all know that they didn't work, but I gave hope to people through this cure. And he's like, he, you hear him justifying what he did, how the millions he made during the zombie war. Like, you just jump, just yeah. jump to these stories. I found it, found it compelling. Okay, so I actually, I, I, I loved that too. And I thought he did a shockingly good job considering he's one human who's only lived one life. I would say my biggest critique of the book is that there were some that, and again, I don't even know because I, I also don't know what it's like to be another person, but there was a few that smelled a little fake to me. Okay. 
there was a couple where it's like it was cl- he was clearly trying to show how different another culture is but the and but it was like they were using expressions and phrases that we use in North America but they're like someone who's only lived in in North Korea or whatever actually they didn't have a North Korean person which was very interesting that that, that whole section was one of my favorites yeah, but, yeah. but anyway but like uh there was a few where I was like, this feels like it's being written by an American still. I, I think he did a shockingly good job and it sounds like a, a, an impossible task. Th- there was even just a couple with like some of the ones where it's like clearly a villainous character, like someone who took advantage of it. Sometimes they'd be like, so what? Like it felt a little bit too, <laughs> not that I don't believe there are people who, who are swaggering like that, but there was, there was some people who had felt a little bit like it was trying to, too hard, but overall shockingly great effort. Did an, did an amazing job. I would love to talk with the author or find... I think it really got overshadowed by the movie in a, in a yeah. sense when I was trying to Google it, but I would love to hear what his process was, like if he interviewed a lot of people from certain countries to try. And overall, I would say he he did do a, quite a good job of like analyzing it from... like I did say that sometimes it was like, okay, this Chinese person really feels like it's an American writing this. But overall, he did do a, a cool job of like digging into like, okay, collectivism in a country can be a huge problem. Individualism in a country can be a huge problem. And here's how America experienced this really negatively. And here's how these other countries experienced it really negatively. Everybody had problems. Like America's individuality was caused war. some crazy <laughs> problems for America. And, and he did, he didn't, it, I liked that it wasn't a really heavy handed, like this is why America sucks. Or like, this is why America is the best. It was very clearly like, Hey, there's pros and cons to this way of existing to being a human. And this is how it's going to impact a country going through, uh, a pandemic that also is a is a world war. Oh. Uh, before we move on from this one, I would just love to hear. Maybe I don't think this is a spoiler, but I would love to hear if you guys have any ones that stood out as your favorites. Just because I'm curious of of that. No, uh, which ones were your favorite chapters? Like, if you can remember ones, like like I can just list off a few of my favorites. Whereas uh, the the I, I forget what the term is for it, but this sort of Japanese uh, boy who spends almost his entire time on the internet. And his sort of journey to becoming sort of a samurai, actually. <laughs> that one was kind of dope. A, what a book, hey? Like I, I loved how the chapter was sort of open-ended, where he, like, picks up the sword, and then that's where they leave it. Because, again, the chapters are relatively short, so sometimes you have to fill in the blanks on what the story is going to be. And I and I actually liked that. In that in that one, it was awesome, where it was like, yeah. I actually... The book was kind of dark, and that one was... Even though it was really dark, so many of the people close to him die. It was actually sort of, of a beautiful ending. Whereas, like, he yeah. goes from this existence. Was he the one who's blind? Or is that no? That one? was the next one. That was also one of my favorites. That was an old man who was blind. Yeah, I, th- I think he did two back to back Japanese stories. That one was also super sick and really cool. Yeah, and and also so sad because he was just so suicidal and and mm. just oh man, it's a it's it's a crazy book. I can't and, uh, believe it worked. Like. Another story. Is it okay that I'm going through the favorites? I yeah, just am really curious because sure. if anyone has I, read honestly, it, I, I been, feel like it would be interesting for them to. It's been a while since I've read yeah. it. So. Uh, another one that I loved was the description of North Korea. This one wasn't really someone's personal story, but just the South Koreans trying to figure out what happened with North Korea. I, I, won't, I won't spoil it, but it was just like that was really fascinating yeah. to me. Um, and then one of my favorites, and Michael said he shared this one, was the Canadian one because it just hit really close to home. It was about Canadians going up north to try to freeze out the zombies and sort of they're they're like descending into anarchy in these like up north camping campgrounds which some of them I've been to so it was just like it really hit close to home and was also like a really cool and mm. sad story yep you guys have any thoughts on these favorite ones no are you up next Jesse uh yeah but I'm just gonna repeat quick thoughts on I'm, I'm already repeating this but I'm also gonna go on to uh how to write a sentence really quickly um, 
sorry, go for it. I, I don't have too much to add. Like, there's a whole bunch I could pick, but you kind of mentioned some of the main ones for me too. Thank you for listening to this podcast's conversation. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, consider subscribing and sharing and all that jazz. It's immensely helpful. I'm all about having meaningful, interesting conversations. So if you know of someone I should talk to, hit me up on Instagram at It's the Volk. Have a good one, guys.